Hey guys, oh my gosh, this episode is amazing. It is with Hehe from the Birth Lounge, Instagram Tranquility by Hehe. And today we did rapid fire for scripts. So I know so many of you guys are like, the hospital said I have to do blah, blah, blah. Or my doctor said I have to do da, da, da. So I wrote out some of the things that I had heard over the last couple of months and then I gave them to Hehe as if she's you, the birthing person, and how she would respond. So we're literally giving you the language that you need to stand up to manipulative hospital policies and procedures that do not serve you, that are outdated, that are not evidence-based, and words and communication that just shouldn't be used anymore. And so this episode is all about empowering you and giving you the words and also giving you a heads up on some of the things you might hear. All right, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Before we get started, I would love to have you guys in Birth Story Academy. It is premier childbirth education for your hospital birth, no matter what the birth looks like that you're planning. So medicated, unmedicated, a wait and see attitude, a belly birth, an induction, there is a module for all of it. And I have a blank name tag at your seat waiting to put your name on it. And the best part about Birth Story Academy is that I get to be your virtual doula. You go into my private Facebook group where I interact with you every single week and cheer you on as you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So I hope you will go to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. How's it going? I'm so excited. Me too. This is going to be great. This, How are you? How's life? I am so good-ish. I mean, it's still COVID. So really, I feel like the way I should answer this is I'm going to answer honestly, is that I feel like my past life was like I experienced things like anxiety, depression, <laughs> whatever. And I feel like I now just experience overwhelm. Like, I just feel like I'm like numb sometimes yeah. with, I'm just missing people. Yeah. Like we have human interaction. Yeah. We have, I swear, I think we have the best job 
as doulas because we still get to touch people. Yep. You know, but like, you know, I only have like five clients a month. So it's like, what am I doing the other 26 days? Not being able to interact in that way. So I don't know. How are you doing? Doing well. I actually thought 2022 would get off to a like slower start, uh, but it has just hit the ground running, which I'm, you know, not complaining about, but it's just unexpected. So yeah, things are good. Um, You opened those doors to the birth lounge and people came, they come every time. That's right. They come. If you, (laughs) you ask, they come. Uh, Yeah. Our next round actually is in less than a month. It happens um, the beginning of March. Okay. I have a question for you from my dual client. And it never even occurred to me, but they were like, why does he, he only open her doors and then closes them and then opens them and closes them. And I was like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Because when we have doors closed, it allows us to stop focusing on getting new people in the birth lounge and spreading the word. And it allows me and my team to 100% put into the members that have joined. And then 90 days later, doors open again, and, and we will we'll open the doors for new people. Right. And then we put into those people and really love on them super deeply. So you know, preparing for your birth is something that's super intimate and you don't want to feel like another number in the process, which is exactly one of the gaps that we try and feel that, you know, OB care kind of leaves wide open. Um, so closing our doors allows our team to truly focus on the members that are in there before, you know, because as a small business, your income is based on your sales. So if you have doors open all the time, you're, you're selling all the time. Um, and it really, for us, it took away from that member experience. And so we decided to just have doors open intermittently so we could focus on our members. That makes total sense. Now I will play this podcast for all my doula clients and tell them <laughs> that is a why. Well, let's get this party started. I am so excited. You guys, he has no idea what I'm about to do to her either because, I mean, I sent you a text that was like, I'm going to rapid fire this shit. But like, yeah. <laughs> I prepared for this like air quote interview like it was my full-time job because- And I have prepared zero. I have no <laughs> idea what's happening. I'm like simultaneously really excited, but also a little nervous. <laughs> I know. He, he, we went back and forth on a couple of emails, you guys, and we were like, okay, let's have he, he back on the birth story podcast. And I just basically was like, I love everything he, he. So I'm like, whatever you want to talk about, like we can talk about. And she's like, okay, let's talk about things we've learned from attending hundreds of births, the induction risks, the cesarean, being a major surgery, trauma, manipulative care, like all the things. And I was like, yes, this is very organized of you, he, he. So I took a spin off of that. And it's basically, I'm going to tie in your Instagram reels to this podcast episode and your fierce passion for advocacy for birthing persons, which is why you're the number one Instagram account from a birth worker that I follow, just like in general that I love, but like for any birth worker that I follow, like you're the first one that like, you know, I'm sure the algorithms are like, oh, Heidi's the first one to like every single one of your posts because you're the first thing I see. Oh my gosh, I do not feel worthy of that. But thank you very, very much. I am so passionate about just making sure that people understand 
that you always have a choice, um, no, no matter what. It doesn't mean that your choices are always going to be good or that or what you even want to be your choices, but you do always have a choice. And sometimes it really doesn't feel like that, nor is it you know, presented to us like that, especially in healthcare and double, especially in maternity health. Yep. So what we're going to do today is a little bit of role play. Now, this came about because I'm going to go out on a limb here, but when I watch your IG in your reels, it feels to me like you're really trying to put yourself in the shoes of the birthing person and then provide scripts. And you do it hilariously, but... At the end of the day, the takeaway is like, I'm a badass birthing person who has a voice and I can speak up for what I want. Well, the delivery of that is an hysterical Instagram reel. Okay. I am training an intern right now. I have my my interns every semester. So I take one to three at a time and I've got one right now. And this week's internship topic was on speaking up at the hospital, who speaks up. And I don't know what you actually do in a birth room, hee hee, but I wanted you to start there because on your reels, do you teach your doula clients or your clients that are in the birth lounge to speak up for themselves or for their partner to speak up by leading by example? Because you're doing it. Or do you actually do it for them? Do you teach them what to say or do you go to battle, I guess? Yeah, a little bit of all of that, actually. So there's a hierarchy. Um, So I teach you that you are your best advocate. So number one, if something doesn't feel aligned to you, you should say that. You should say like, hmm, I don't know about this. It doesn't even have to be confrontational. It certainly doesn't have to be like a hard and set no, right? But the first defense is always you questioning things going, hmm, not sure. Or yeah, I'll think about this and I will actually, we can revisit it at my next prenatal. Um, Or if I change my mind right now, I don't want that. But if I change my mind, I'll revisit this, right? That's your first defense. Then your second defense should be your your partner. Um, So at the end of the day, nobody can actually speak for you accept your partner. Um, And then you, so it's really important to know your doula can advocate until we're blue in the face, but no one actually has to listen to our words. And so your partner should absolutely be second on the list. And it's going to look like a couple things. So maybe it's that your partner just reiterates what you say. She said she'd like to move her body. So honey, get up and move. Um, Or maybe it actually looks like they say, you know, you look uncomfortable. Do you have questions? And they just give you the pause. Or sometimes it looks like them saying, actually, I have questions about that. It doesn't, that's not what we had discussed beforehand. And then if those things aren't being listened to, um, or sometimes partners and birthing people, sometimes it can be really hard in the moment. And so you freeze. Um, And if so, if people freeze or those first two defenses have been you know, played and and ignored, then I step in and I'll usually say like, hey, Heidi, I heard you both say that you want to move your body. Where do you want to go? I'll help you. Let's do it. That's totally your right, right? Or maybe I might say, you know, it really seems like this conversation has come to an end because you both have declined it. Are there any other questions? You know, and you can just remind everyone in the room of informed refusal. Maybe you even say those words. Maybe you even say, hey, you both have both declined. That's totally your right to informed refusal. Does it feel like the conversation is ready to come to an end for the both of you? 
You know, and you leave it in those patients' hands because at the end of the day, ACOG does say that a provider has to. It is their ethical obligation. It is part of their responsibilities as a professional to respect informed refusal, even if, A, they disagree, B, it puts that birthing person in danger, or C, it puts that fetus in danger. As long as that birthing person is coherent and sound, the provider has to listen to informed refusal. I am so glad that you said it, you say it over and over and over again, so it continues to get played out. So what I have done for you, Hehe, is I have made a list of things that I heard in the birthing space, literally in the last 60 to 90 days. Okay, so I made a list of all of these things and I thought I'm going to rapid fire hee hee as if you were the birthing person, because I think this is how you make your reels, you know, and I want to hear like some of your spice come out. You know, you can play nice also, too, but I like it when you get like a little spicy and your reels. Okay. So you ready? So I am pregnant and in labor or at a prenatal. Absolutely. This is exactly. And they're going to kind of go back and forth between like um, at a prenatal. And this is like I get the text messages like, hey, I was just at my prenatal and this is what they said or whatever. Okay. I wish people could see me. I'm like stretching and breathing like I'm about to run a marathon. (laughs) Like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. (laughs) We are like going to battle. Okay. Now, a couple of these you already addressed in some of your reels. And so I know you've got like really good answers for them too. Okay. So the first one is you should really take our birth class. We've got it open again. You can come in person to the hospital and take the birth class. It's on Saturday from 12 to 6. Thanks for telling me about that. And I would leave it there. Like, I don't know you an explanation. Thanks for sharing. Um, If you're feeling a little spicy, I would also say, oh, thanks so much for sharing. I already have a birth class. Appreciate it. Thank you. Love it. And I would add to that from your things that you said that I've learned from you too, or why would I want to take a childbirth class from the institution that profits off of me? Absolutely. Your childbirth educators, if they're hired by the hospital, that hospital is not only profiting off of you from that class, but also now they are invested in the way that your birth turns out because the more interventions, the more they get paid. That's not unbiased care. It has got to come from a third party that has no invested you know, they're not invested in your birth other than representing you. That's the importance of a third party for childbirth education. Yep. Uh, my intern that I was just talking about, Carson, she went and took the hospital. She's pregnant too. And she's doing May. So I'm her doula and she's my intern. And um, she went and took the hospital childbirth course. And she said, I said, how did you feel about it? And she said, they just presented everything like it was a fact. Like there was no room for questions. And I was like, oh, it fires me up. Okay, ready for the next one? Ready. So he, he, we just got the results of your ultrasound and your baby is measuring really big. So we feel like we should induce you. Mm, how big? 10 pounds. Yeah. Hmm. And what are the risks with a 10 pound baby? Don't know. Do you want me to give so you, you one to, shoulder to Stosha? Like, I mean, if some, some providers will really say, I don't know. And I would say, you want me to induce for a thing that you don't know what the risks are? Okay. What are the risks for induction? Ooh, good one. 
right? And then whatever their answer is, you can just make your decision from that. But you know that a big baby is not a reason to induce. And I think there's room to have a conversation you know, you know, as the birthing person, so I know as the birthing person, I think there's room to have a conversation and say, yeah, thanks for that counsel. I'm not particularly scared of a big baby and the research I've done shares that it's not a reason for induction. So I don't think so. Thank you. I, I'm happy to revisit this if you decide that you are worried about mine or my baby's health, but for size alone, um, it's, that just doesn't feel aligned to me. No, thanks. Good for you. I had that one with my 10 and a half pound baby. And I was like, I was like, it's so crazy. The American College of Gynecology says that macrosomia, big baby, isn't a reason for induction. (laughs) So help me. You know, I had that same conversation, but man, this one comes up over and over again. Okay, he, he, because you're 40 years old, we want to induce you at 39 weeks. Are you worried about my baby? Is something wrong? We are worried about your baby. We're worried your baby's going to die if you are pregnant for longer than 39 weeks. Based solely on my age? Yes. And is my placenta doing all right? Yes. And my baby's last NST was fine? Yes, it was. Are you worried about me? No. So how would my baby die based on solely my age? (laughs) I love it. Do you hear what he's doing, you guys? I mean, it's just questions, y'all. It is literally just taking their answer and truly thinking about it. I think a lot of times we allow providers, and let me tell you, I broke my foot a couple months ago and I left my first appointment so disappointed in myself because this is what I do for a living. Yet when I was in that driver's seat, I couldn't think beyond that white coat. And I think a lot of us succumb to this. So just truly take a breath. The second, the second meeting, I was much more prepared. I was much more prepared. <laughs> so you get better. Your first couple of prenatals may be a little rough, but if you keep practicing, you will start to be able to not only listen to what, uh, not only hear what your provider is saying, but truly listen, digest it quickly and ask questions. So back to this question is like, you just told me my baby was healthy in every other way. So all I'm asking you to do is connect the dots on how they're in danger of dying. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm simply asking how, because nothing else points to that. Yes, I might be 40, but I eat incredibly healthy. I work out five days a week. I, you know, and have adequate hydration. I sleep, you know, if all the things that make someone healthy, you have a green light, it's unlikely your baby's going to just up and die, even based on age. I mean, that is what the research says. Mm-hmm. You're so good at this. This is why I wanted to do this. And I want the listeners of the podcast to hear how simple it can be with practice too. Okay. You ready for the next one? Ready. Okay. This one killed me because my client had an eating disorder and the, um, very severe. She's 22 years old. She had a very severe eating disorder. She had overcome. We put it on our birth plan, all the things. I wasn't there because it was going to be, you know, probably a three to five day induction. And so I had checked her in, left, and then they called and said they're withholding food. They said, you can't eat during a three to five day induction and you'll be just fine without food because we're giving you IV fluids. Hmm. 
I'm sorry, I need to catch my breath on this one because it's incredibly triggering to me because it feels like you didn't read my health history. I have a history of an eating disorder. This is not healthy for my mental health or my physical health. And from what I understand, the research says, as does ACOG, that people should be offered food and drink during labor. So right now I'm going to eat. If you're not able to support me in that, I need to request a new nurse. Good job, girl. Ooh, That one's hard. That's super hard when you feel triggered in a place that is so sensitive. It's really hard to overcome that. Yeah. And I would let them see your raw emotion. Like if you cry, if you need that moment in the beginning, if you, whatever it is, you may not be able to say all that. But maybe your birth partner can. Or maybe you can just say, you know what? I need a new nurse immediately. Okay. I'm glad that you said that. You can always ask for another nurse. And our health system, right? systems right now are wildly understaffed and they're hurting and that's not your problem. That is not on you. Yeah. So I typically do share exactly the reason that we ask for a new nurse because usually those reasons are really big red flags. And for me personally, I have done my job. That is a gold star. That is a slam dunk. You've gotten to the highest power and you have now alerted them to a really big risk, like patient risk, uh, safety. There's all sorts of things, like especially for providers or nurses that have actively or are actively causing trauma. You want to talk to the big dogs about that and say, hey, I literally saw Dr. Jones do an unnecessary episiotomy, and I think you need to know about it. And hopefully that provider cares enough about patient safety, patient experience, the safety and culture of the unit to actually say, you know what, there is nothing more important than this right now. This cannot be happening on my unit. I would love for you to tell me what went down, right? Right there, an investigation needs to start. Yeah. That's how any good company would, would, would handle it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Internally, you go back to those people. You do an investigation, 100%. Is that what we see in hospitals? That's <laughs> not really. But yeah, if I had gotten that phone call, I would have been, yeah, absolutely, Janet. I'm so glad to hear your voice this morning. I cannot wait to hear. I cannot wait to tell you about what Brenda did uh, for, you know, her whole entire eight sh- eight hour shift. It was really, really hard. It was really hard and it caused a lot of trauma. And honestly, I hope that it never happens again to anyone else. And I certainly don't hope I, I hope I never have to witness anything like that again. And these are words that I have said to people who have called to say, like, you had an encounter with a nurse or when I do ask for nurses, uh, many times I'm pulled out into a hallway as if I was the cause for it. And in reality, the nurse caused it. I was simply pointing out that the care that was being given was highly inappropriate, abusive, coercive, manipulative. I mean, Hell, I've seen nurses literally push medications without consent. That is, oh, it's just so unethical and illegal and 
I mean, a nurse that practiced like that, you really don't deserve to have a license, to be honest. You've strayed so far from the path of what a nurse represents. You're really a danger now. Yep. Um, that brings me to Pitocin. That like triggers mm-hmm. for me Pitocin when you said that, because why do like on my clients' birth plans or like birth maps, we have to literally write out if they're using Pitocin as a tool, like you have to ask me for my consent before you turn that. They'll say, oh, we just turn the medicine up every 30 minutes by two. Hell no, you don't. You come and ask me, how am I doing? Do I think I could handle that? I have a chance to ask, how's my baby doing? I mean, oh, I'm just so glad you brought that up. So because that brings me to a reel that you did that I mean, it triggered me in such a way. I mean, I shared it. I texted it to people. I sent it to some of the midwives. And I thought, this is the most articulated, beautifully written thing I have ever seen. Okay. And so it was on the turning down the epidural. I was going to like kind of play it, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but you did a reel on them and I put it as this um we don't turn down epidurals or turn them off until after delivery. So take that one. Okay. Well, I know it's my right as a medication that's being put into my body to titrate it up or down. So please turn it down or please make a note in my chart that I asked you to do that and you refused. And then after you're done with that, could you please get me another nurse in here because I need my epidural turned down. You should not take no for an answer on this. If you're asking someone to stop putting medication in your body, that is no one's choice but yours as long as you are coherent and able to make decisions. Yep. And the way that you put it in your reel which was like very powerful was if you were having sex with someone and you asked them to stop and they didn't stop, what would we call that? Absolutely. You know, and I just, it really, the way you compared and correlated, it really hit home for me. I just got me thinking, oh my gosh, like what a great comparison. Like you had said like, these are very powerful IV narcotics. Of course, we should have the ability to say no, to say stop, to say slow down, you know? So we teach toddlers, literal toddlers, that if they're tickling someone and someone says stop, you stop. We teach teenagers that if there's a joke going on and the first person that doesn't look like they're having fun anymore, you stop. Like we teach these boundaries all the time. How come in maternity wards, no doesn't matter? How come consent is a piece of paper instead of a conversation? Yep. Very weird. Very weird. Smells fishy. You should be asking questions. I am going to record The next time I come in, you know, I think we've talked about this. My clients, we come in hot, right? 70 to 80% are unmedicated and we like to show up within an hour of delivery. And so we're coming in hot and triage and they're literally signing consents with their eyes closed. Yes. Not even on the lines. Not even on the line, head in the bed. And they're like, and literally I've heard just anything, even a scribble. And I'm like, 
Can we same. video that, please? That's consent. I've heard nurses say the same thing. Just a scribble. Just put your initials. Just anything. That I, is not. Can that is the ultimate coercion. That is just. If you're listening to this, being like, "Oh wow, I didn't realize." Yeah. This is why we get so up in arms about this kind of stuff, because you just signed away a lot of rights, a lot of rights. And you have no idea what you're signing, right? Nobody explained it to you because you're really in the throes of labor. Yep. I wish that they would do these consents at like their 36 week prenatal appointment. And that was a separate prenatal appointment. Like, hey, we're going to meet today to go over your hospital consents so that you fully understand everything that you're signing and that you have four to six weeks likely to have your attorney look at it before you sign it. And then it can be notarized. Right. I mean, I just. Yeah. And look, that that will require a whole prenatal. So an even better solution to that would be to make the papers electronic and to have someone who is not, um, well, I actually don't know. Maybe they should be a medical professional. Maybe it should be a nurse that makes the calls to everyone who's 36 weeks over the next week and explains actually their rights and also says, all the things that patients really need to hear because consent is not a form. Yep. And what you said earlier, like you have to have informed refusal. So they never share with you about the document AMA against medical advice and how you can leave the hospital at any time with your baby, right? You can give birth and two hours later, you can leave if you're feeling good, sign AMA, right? Your water ruptured, you go to triage, Sign AMA. Nobody's ever talking about the AMA form or offering it up, you know. I don't know. Okay, you ready? You ready for another one? Ready. Okay. Hey, he he. You've been laboring a while and we really need to check you. How long has it been since my last cervical exam? Like three to four hours and we really need to know that you had cervical change. Oh, no, definitely not. So it was very painful last time. I'm really not interested until probably six to eight hours. So you can come back in a couple hours. But even then, I probably will say no, just because I can tell my my labor is moving along. My contractions have changed. I've gotten a little bit closer together. And they're, they're actually much more, okay, I have to stop. Here's one. Well, you're having that contraction and you're focused on that. Well, the next doctor that's coming on at seven really wanted me to check you before they came on. <laughs> Literally having a conversation while I'm having a contraction. Like, this is so comical, but this is really what happens. Um, right. Okay. So let's say I got through that contraction and I would ask you to repeat what you just said. And you would say that the next doctor wanted it. And I would say, Honestly, it doesn't matter because what your seven centimeters and what their seven centimeters is, is totally different. So it's probably better that I just wait for them anyway. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Good job. I love this. I love this episode. He, I hope that it's like really inspiring and empowering, especially some of our introverts and our shyer listeners, like just to, we're pouring power into them. Like you have such a way with your words and you make it seem very simple to just kind of be inquisitive and ask the questions and dig a little bit deeper. So this is really awesome. Um, let me see. The next one is, oh, um, ring, ring. He he's calling 
the nurse, hey, I just wanted to let you know that my water ruptured. Um, what should I do? And they say to you, oh, you need to come in right away. Okay, we'll be in soon. Thanks. Click. And then I'm staying home. Like, <laughs> I, what? Okay. And again, remember like your first question? I don't know you an explanation. Thanks for sharing. That's what you're supposed to tell me. It's literally your job. I know it's not evidence-based. I know it's not right. I know it increases my risk of an epidural, pharmacological pain relief, more painful and less efficient contractions because I'm in a place that I'm uncomfortable, C-section, induction, Pitocin, like all the things that we all want to avoid, it all happens at the hospital. So, okay, thanks. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Following up, this one happened yesterday. Had a prenatal appointment and she was like, I'm very confused. The doctor just said to me, okay, so here you are, hee hee, in your prenatal appointment. And the doctor says to you, hee hee, If you go into labor during the day, we like you to come to the office to get checked during the day, like in the middle of your early labor. Why? Because we don't, we don't take call schedule. Like we only go into the hospital when people are are in labor. We're not always there because we're a small practice. So if you go into labor during the day, we like to see you in the office so we know if we have to work that night. Mm. Yeah, I'm not really planning on getting that many cervical exams. I don't know that I'll do that, but I hear you. And that's a risk I'm willing to think to, to take though. Um, gosh, I wish I had actually known this when I signed up for the practice, because this might have really influenced where I gave birth. But um, yeah, curveball. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're hilarious because that's essentially what the mom said. She was like, she literally said, I wish I would have known that. Because I probably wouldn't be birthing with this practice, you know? Definitely. That feels like a bait and switch to me. Like, that's a pretty big thing that you, like, no, you don't, you don't spring that on someone late in their pregnancy as if it's something A, they should expect, B, they should have known, or C, that's not a big deal because none of those are true. <laughs> I want to like be so serious about it, but you're just cracking me up. <laughs> I fully expect you to make some extra reels out of these questions <laughs> too also. Um, oh my God, this is a great one. Okay, he, he, you're totally unmedicated and you consent, you did consent to a vaginal exam because you were like, I'm just feeling a little pressure and just kind of want to see where I'm going. It's 6, 10 p.m. and they switch shifts at 7 and the doctor says to you, um, oh, he, he, you're 10 centimeters like Let's, let's just go ahead and start pushing. What station is my baby at? Zero. Zero station. Oh, yeah. So I don't think I want to push right now because I know I'm 10 centimeters. I can definitely feel that. But um, my baby's still a little high and I'm not feeling that urge to push. And since I'm unmedicated, I do understand a fetal ejection reflex, which I'm going to wait on. Um, so, oh, you've been so great this shift. I hate you're going to miss the birth of my baby. That's so sad. And then like dismiss them. Not dismiss them and their feelings, but dismiss them from the obligation of having to serve you. Like your time with me is done. I appreciate you. You're not going to get my baby out faster by making me push now because you want to be at the birth of my baby. Um, You know. Okay. Thanks very much. Yep. Okay. Here's the next one. Um, Oh, I saw in the birth plan that you want me to milk the cord if we had to like cut the cord 
quickly. And I saw that there was meconium when your water broke. So we are going to cut the cord quickly. And I can't do milking the cord because there's waste product in the umbilical cord. So I don't, we don't do that here. You're not going to cut my cord early. I do not consent to that. I, I do not want that to be done. Do not cut that cord early. I understand meconium and my baby right now looks great. If that changes, happy to revisit, but do not cut that cord early. Good job, girl. How do you and feel look, about the not milking super... the cord because there's waste product in it? Okay. The cord is filled with blood. The waste product is in the amniotic sac. So if we think about that, that doesn't make sense. Your provider is either incredibly misinformed, which is super dangerous and scary, or they're lying to you, which is also super dangerous and scary. So not a great situation all the way around. And look, you you may actually have to say kind of forceful things like, do not do that. I do not consent. Do not do that. What we want to stay away from is threatening your doctor. So if you do that, I'm going to X, Y, and Z. You don't, we don't even have to go that far. All you literally have to say is, do not do that. I don't consent or I know my rights. There's no need for threats. You're already in charge. Ooh, I like that one. Say that again. That was awesome. There's no need for threats because you are already in charge. Good job. Here's another one, hee hee. This one just happened. Doctor, such and such, doesn't like you to get in the tub after your water is ruptured. So you can't get in the tub. Okay, well, this isn't about doctor such and such. Are you going to fill up the tub or do you want me to ask my partner? That's a good one. I mean, I'm getting in the tub. Are you going to help me? You're not going to help me. (laughs) Right. I feel the same way about getting out of the tub when they say, we really need you to get out of the tub so we can check you. Let's do that one. Let's do that one. How would you answer that one? Hey, he, he, I can see that you're in transition in the tub and we really need to check you. So I need you to get out of the tub. I'm not moving. So you can do the vaginal exam right now or we really don't need it. And these are, those are words I've actually used with a provider. I have turned to a parent and said, you know what? There's other options. They can either check you right there or you really don't need it. And we decided that we really didn't need it. So hallelujah, we avoided another cervical exam. Yep. Good work. What I want you to hear listeners from Hee Hee is like how easy this can be, right? With just a little bit of confidence, a little bit of swagger, a little bit of education and empowerment and information. And you just get inquisitive, push back, ask questions, dig a little bit deeper. You know, that's all this segment is about. Okay. The next one is just, this just happened to a doula client this week and they were preparing. I think they were at their 34 week appointment and the doctor said, um, hey, he, he, we do a vaginal exam at every 36 week appointment with your GBS swab to confirm your baby's position. So not on me. I'm, I don't want that. Um, but I understand it's standard. I please note next week. Don't, I don't want a cervical exam. I can even swab myself while somebody watches if that's an option or I'm happy to do it while someone steps out. But um, definitely mark me for no on the cervical exam, please. Good job. But he, he, we really need to do it because how am I going to know your baby's position without doing it? Well, ultrasound is an option, right? You have an ultrasound machine. Also, I mean, does my baby's position really matter that much? Is there a problem with breech birth? Good questions. I like it. In my area, unfortunately, there is a freaking problem with breech birth because no one seems to be trained 
Okay, so let's talk down that. Let's answer that. So I say, is there a problem with breech birth? And the provider says, yeah, no one's trained here to do a breech birth. So that would be a C-section if your baby was breech. Wow. It doesn't feel so much like informed consent when I don't have an option. Um, okay, so about that ultrasound machine, do we have it? Can we confirm that way? Or um, do you know how to palpate my belly and define where my baby is that way? Which they all should know, you guys. They so. all should know. Absolutely. If your provider doesn't know how to hands-on find your baby, that is a huge problem. Um, spinning babies also teaches you how to belly map, which isn't as accurate as palpating the belly, um, but it, it it's pretty accurate. Um, it can tell you a lot about your baby's positioning and their whereabouts for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he, he, I know you tested positive for GBS and we recommend antibiotics, but I saw in your chart that you don't want to have antibiotics and you asked for a retest. I'm sorry, we don't offer retesting of GBS. Are there any independent clinics around that I could get a GBS test at? Well, I mean, maybe you could go to an urgent care. Can I, um, do you know if the hospital will let me self-pay for a GBS test? I mean, they might, hee hee, but the problem is, is that if you were GBS positive once, even if you're negative the next time, we still want to treat you with antibiotics. Well, that's silly because GBS is cyclical, so it comes and goes. I don't think so. I'm going to look into the urgent care thing that you suggested, um, but who would I ask about um, self-paying for the GBS? Good job. Not that your nurse knows these answers, you guys, but it at least shows them that you're thinking deeper and they should be able to go out and get the name of somebody you can talk to. They're probably going to direct you to checkout services and then checkout services can tell you what that um, super bill would look like. But these are questions you need to be asking you and feel free to say, did you know to your nurses? A lot of people don't want to educate their nurses. How many American nurses don't know that the UK doesn't practice GBS like us. Probably not many. Right. Or guess how many babies were positive for GBS or sick from GBS with their GBS positive moms in my 17 year career? Zero. <laughs> okay. So can we go back to the question and let's have you start over with, well, once you're positive, once you're always positive. Yeah. You want me to re-ask that question? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, you know, what we find is that if you are positive at any point in your pregnancy, we consider you positive for your whole entire pregnancy. Oh, okay. So actually, since it's a range that we can test in GBS, like timing wise. So I think I'll put this off until probably 37, 38, 39 weeks. Good one. And your nurse may come back to you and say like, well, if you wait till that long, you run the risk that your um, baby comes before we get the test. Okay, so then what? And she should have a protocol. Many hospitals will presume that you are positive and then we're in the same boat anyway. Exactly. The only difference in my hospital I found with GBS is that they do recommend keeping the baby for observation for 48 hours instead of 24 hours. But again, y'all, it goes back to you can leave the hospital with your baby whenever you want to. <laughs> you have a pediatrician, hopefully. 
Go to the pediatrician the next day. Okay, let's go on to this next one. Hey, he he. I'm so excited to see you this week for your 40-week appointment. We've gone ahead and scheduled your induction at 41 weeks. Why did you do that? That's our policy. Everyone gets induced by 41 weeks here. Why is that your policy? Well, because your baby's probably going to die if you're pregnant for longer than 41 weeks. Okay, but that's not true because I'm a first-time parent and I know that many first-time babies come in that 41st week. So yeah, please take that induction off the schedule or I guess you could keep it for sure. I'm not going to be there. Um, I'm happy to revisit this around 42 weeks, but I also am pretty well informed about the risk of going over 42 weeks as well. So feels a little premature for this conversation. I'm excited to see you too. Um, I, I don't want that induction though. Let's get that off the calendar while I'm here today. Got it. It makes me want to be like, okay, I'll take it off. <laughs> exactly. And they are not going to say that. They're going to go, well, we really recommend or well, no. Yeah. Uh, get it off. Take mm-hmm. it off. Or if they refuse to take it off, you guys don't show up. You don't have to show up. And they may threaten you and say like, oh, well, your insurance will be charged for it. That would be insurance fraud. You're charging my insurance for a procedure that never happened. That is a very serious offense. Are you sure that would happen? You sure my insurance would be charged? Yeah. That sounds not right. Or how are you coding it to my insurance? Because if you're coding it for big baby, well, that's not an indication for an induction. Like what medical reason are you telling my insurance that I need an induction? Because that smells like fraud. If there's not a true medical reason. Ask all the questions. Uh, Make them do you did we talk about this? Do you know I went to 43 weeks? I mean, I didn't show up for my okay. I didn't show up for my inductions. (laughs) And they would call and be like, You had an induction scheduled at six o'clock this morning. And I was like, Oh, oops. Sorry, I'm still sleeping. I'll let you know when I go into early for me. (laughs) I'll let you know when I'm in spontaneous labor. Uh, this was another one that happened in 2022. This one was, oh man, um, I said some things, but this is how the conversation went. Um, hey, he, he, I know that your birth plan says you want unmedicated, but like, I've never seen anyone go unmedicated in my whole career on Pitocin with their first baby. Well, prepare to have your life change, Brenda, because he he is here. I'm planning to have this baby unmedicated and I hope I can do it. I hope I can count on you for the support. Can I? Well, I mean, I can support you, but I just, you know, I just, I just don't think it's possible. I've never seen anyone get Pitocin and go unmedicated. Oh my gosh, with that attitude, I'm never going to make it. Girl, I shouldn't be carrying you. Come on. I got to have some support here. I'm trying to push this baby out. You got to believe in me, Brenda. I need you. You guys use humor, like turn it back on them. Make this funny, make them uncomfortable. Give them some responsibility in this. Like Brenda, of course, I'm never going to get this shit done. If you always are telling me I can't do it. Come on, lady. And I love that Brenda is like the new Karen. This is hilarious. Um, Okay, here's another one. You have to have two IV ports since you're high risk. Okay, define what makes me high risk. Well, last time you had a postpartum hemorrhage because some of your placenta was retained. And because you have that history of a postpartum hemorrhage, our hospital policy is that you have to have two IV ports. 
Okay, well, last time I had a retained placenta because traction was unnecessarily put on my placenta, and that is a big difference in my birth plan this time. Um, so the the postpartum hemorrhage history is there, yeah, but I actually think it was probably iatrogenic, which for listeners that means that you know medical procedures cause that. So I'm good with this one port. If there comes a time where I need two things to be in me at the same time, we can revisit this. But right now I'm not going to have another one put in just um, precautionarily. I'm This one that I have right now is super uncomfortable already. So I really would not like to have two if we can avoid it. Cool. Good. Just so you know, that particular client got no IV ports. Nice. Had no traction to the placenta this time. And had no tearing and no hemorrhage for baby two. So to be clear in this example, I thought I already had one place and they were trying to place a second. If I had none for simply a postpartum hemorrhage that was caused by unnecessary traction, I too would not personally, this is me personally, I would not have an IV port preemptively based on solely a hemorrhage history that was iatrogenic, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys hear what we're doing here, right? We're telling you about how the hospital uses words to manipulate and coerce you and that they're like literally no one can do anything to your body. There's no true such thing as a hospital policy and that he, he is giving us some really brave and hilarious and courageous answers to all of these things. This is awesome. Okay. There's just a couple left. Oh, hee hee, I see in your birth plan that you want delayed cord clamping. That's awesome. We delay cord clamping for 30 seconds. Okay, well, I would like to delay it till it stops pulsing, please. Oh, we don't do that at this hospital. Okay, well, okay. Then when my baby comes out, you can hand them to me and then I'll decide when you can cut it. Why don't you do it at this hospital? I think ACOG actually says one minute. Is there a reason you don't do that? Well, I don't know why the hospital policy is, but I've been trained and for the whole time we only do delayed cord clamping for 30 seconds. I mean, that's delayed cord clamping. We delay it 30 seconds. Your baby's getting a lot of that cord blood. Yeah. Yeah. That I, so I want it to be until it stops pulsing, please. Um, 30 seconds. That's good, but that's not good enough for me. White is what I'm going for. Um, and I understand the policy that's super interesting because it doesn't seem evidence-based at all, but it's not applicable to me. I know that that's written for you. So I, if you can just make a note in my chart that I want it to be after the cord stops pulsing, um, and I don't consent to anything before that for sure unless there's an issue and then you can just get my consent for that as well I'd like it all to be a conversation actually good you're so you see how that you, you see how these conversations really kind of very respectfully shut down their comebacks to you you don't leave room for negotiation so we're not negotiating with your your provider this is not you asking their permission or you getting what they will allow you or won't allow you to do that is not their job at all their job is to give you health care and to make sure you and your baby are safe they actually have an obligation to do evidence-based health care we just know many of them don't amen sister two more You ready? Final two. It's like those shots. Okay. The first suggestion of Pitocin. Hey, he, he. 
I just feel like you've been here a long time laboring and we checked your cervix and you just really aren't progressing. We really need to start Pitocin to speed up, speed up your labor. Well, what time is that? I don't even know what time it is. How long have I been in labor? Oh, you've been here for eight hours. You've It says on your chart that you got here a couple hours after labor. So you've been in labor about 11 or 12 hours. Okay, well, I'm a first-time mom, so that's only a portion of what most people labor. Um, and my contractions, they feel like they're kind of on top of each other. How fast are they coming? They're like every four minutes. Okay, well, I don't think I can handle anything more than that right now. Um, so I definitely don't want Pitocin to make them any stronger or closer together. And is there something wrong with my baby? No, your baby looks great. Oh, I love them. Okay, is there something wrong with me? Nope, you look good too. It's just that you're increasing your risk of having a postpartum hemorrhage if your uterus is working this hard for too long. And so we really, you know, want to get your baby out. And adding Pitocin is going to decrease my risk for postpartum hemorrhage is what you're saying? Well, you know, sometimes it can increase your risk, but sometimes it can decrease your risk if we can shorten how long you're in labor. Hmm. I don't think so, though. I heard some, I just have heard so many bad things and I actually have downloaded Tranquility by, do you know he, he do you know he, he, she has this guide for induction and, and Pitocin. I actually have both of them. And I just, it right now, four minutes is all I can handle. I don't want that, but I did bring a vibrator, LOL. He, he taught me that too. Um, so I'm happy to go into the bathroom and do some natural oxytocin and see if we can't get these contractions closer together. But right now, since me and my baby look great and I haven't actually been in labor that long, I know you guys are kind of antsy, um, but I, four minutes, I feel this is a good place for my labor right now. And I'm going to use the vibrator because I understand what where you're coming from. Um, but Pitocin right now is going to be a, a no-go for me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, you guys, a vibrator is an awesome way to have an orgasm and release oxytocin and the breast pump too. That's another really good one. I literally had a client, the first client of this year, and she told the provider that they would like to have sex. They were in a long induction and yes. that they just needed to, um, they were playing, they were playing, they didn't ask permission. They said that we were planning to have sex and the whole room got so uncomfortable and they were like, oh, like we don't, I mean, it's a hospital. Like we're not sure people do that here. <laughs> they were like, well, okay. well, we're going to, we're going to have sex. So <laughs> like, better get out. <laughs> yeah. Like you can put a sign on the door that says nipple stimulation in progress, please. Last one. He, he, we did this standard ultrasound at your 40 week appointment and we see that your amniotic fluid is low. And because of that, um, we look at the pockets and we see that there's less than two centimeters of fluid like per pocket. And so that is a, a, a reason to send you over for an induction today. Wow. That, oh, that's so surprising. I feel fine. Um, and my baby's been moving totally fine. Okay. Well, I haven't really drank that much water today. Um, so actually, um, just go get some more water. I'm going to go drink some water and I'll sit in my car and then come back in an hour and we can check it again. And I'd like to see if anything has changed. Well, we've never had anybody ask about 
hydration in low amniotic fluid, but I don't see why not. Cool. So I think a lot of times when you go in prepared like that, providers will be very caught off guard and they are more apt to like honor what you're asking for because you are very well, you know, versed on what you're asking for and the risk. However, I think a lot of providers also, when you catch them off guard with like, whoa, this is an educated person, they then feel threatened and they're like, well, no, 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 we can't let you out of my sight. Right. Okay. So let's play that out. Um, he, he, no, like we we're totally booked for the day. Like our recommendation is to just go straight to the hospital and to get induced. We don't have any available appointments until next week for another ultrasound. Like that's it. So if I say no right now and I come back in an hour and me and my baby are really in danger, you're telling me that I'm not going to be able to get an induction until next week. Well, we would send you to triage or to the ER, but not in the office. So different, but very similar to what I'm about to have now, but I still would be able to have my induction. Yes, you would still be able to have an induction in an hour if you went home and drank some fluid and wanted an opportunity to come back and do that induction later. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not going to leave. I do trust you. I understand that things were low right now. I'm just going to go out to my car. I have a water bottle out there and then I will come back in and fill it up here and I'm going to drink us, you know, a good amount of water. I just want to retest and make sure that I'm not being induced for something that's actually really rare. I know that low, low amniotic fluid is really rare. I also understand it's, it has real risk. I'm not trying to get out of it if it's really there, but I just want to double check. And I'm telling you, I haven't drank enough water today. I've been running errands all morning and I just haven't stayed hydrated. So I think that might be something to consider. I'm like, you're convincing me. (laughs) (laughs) And look, your provider really might say something like if you leave, then the risk is on you. And and if you're, if something happens to your baby, you're taking on that risk. And at the end of the day, that's a really unethical statement for your provider to say, and almost always they're saying it because they can't be sued. If you stay, if you stay and something happens to your baby, then they already have it documented that quote unquote, something was wrong. But if you leave and something happens for, you know, with your baby, they can be sued. Um, and that's the bottom line is really trying to decipher is something truly wrong or is this a control thing? Are they fearful of litigation? Litigation drives so much of our healthcare in America. It's scary. And that's a good thing to ask after every suggestion is what is driving this? Is litigation driving this? Call them out on it. Yeah. Yeah. Ask questions. All right, he he. When are those doors opening for everybody that just like devoured this episode and was like, yes, 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 more yes. I need in that birth lounge. Like, when can they get in? Actually, open on uh, February twenty eighth. They'll be open for five days, Monday through Friday, and. Yeah, come on in, you guys. These are the conversations we have, and we give you the evidence behind these decisions, and we leave it up to you. We don't care what you choose. This isn't our birth. This is about you. The thing that I care most about is that in every single decision you make, you understand you have choices and that you're not being coerced into making choices, that the choice is actually what you want to make, and you're making that free of any sort of influence or manipulation. Those are my only goals. Um, Otherwise, you have the birth that you want. Heck, that's how we get rid of birth trauma, which is at the very end of my day, 
that is my goal. I, I, I want to return birth to this sacred space where trauma isn't really part of it. Um, and normal physiological birth is what is expected. Normal physiological birth at home is what is expected. Expected. Yep. I love it. I have gone on again every year. I do my end of year statistics and I'm going to publish them at some point on a short episode, but what I do know that remained true in 2021, which is a 17-year straight run, is I have a 0% cesarean rate for spontaneous birth with no interventions. I have never in 17 years, never had a single client have a cesarean section who went into spontaneous labor and was untouched by medical interventions. Now, there is a place for them, but... I want to end it right there with what we're saying. We're advocating for you and teaching you how to advocate for yourself because we know that spontaneous labor without interventions is possible and that it has a 0% cesarean rate most of the time. So That is so powerful. There's nothing you can say to top that. Nope. Mm-mm, not at all. Well, he, he, thank you so much for being on. If there is like, you know, somebody hiding in a box somewhere that's never heard of you and doesn't follow you, where can they get a hold of you and where can they follow you? Yep. So you can follow me on Instagram um, at Tranquility by Hehe or at the dot birth dot lounge um, or YouTube Hehe Stewart um, and the podcast, the Birth Lounge podcast, which Heidi's going to be on and has been on in the past. Um, but yeah, all of those are fun places you can cons- consume our content. And we also have a blog, blog.thebirthlounge.com. It's all there. Free resources, downloads, courses, anything you want. Oh, well, you are making such an impact on the birth community. I love everything that you do. And thank you for being on the Birth Story podcast today and sharing with my listeners some of these scripts and building their confidence on how they can push back and fight against some of these sentences that we hear in our prenatal appointments and during our labor that we shouldn't be hearing. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thank you for being part of the Birth Story family and listening to this episode. On Tuesdays every week are doula diaries, little snippets and tidbits from my week along with some teaching and education. And then on Thursdays, we meet here for our birth stories and our expert speakers. So thank you for being here and listening to the podcast twice a week. And if you are left wanting more like Heidi, I've listened to all the episodes, I've read your entire book, then I hope you will meet me in Birth Story Academy and let me be your online childbirth educator to prepare you for your hospital birth, no matter what that looks like. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.